On today's episode, we have Conan Snyder. He's the head of data science at Just Auto Insurance. We're going to discuss hiring, what he looks for in data scientists, also the future of data scientists, and then also a lifetime value project when he was at Uber that I think will shed a lot of light on uh, the multi-sided marketplace. Enjoy the show. Conan, uh, thanks for uh, joining. Uh, feel free uh, to tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, so yeah, Conan Snyder, I, I lead the, the data science team at uh, Just Auto Insurance, which is a pretty new car insurance company based in LA. We're selling prepaid pay-per-mile insurance that leans pretty heavily on telematics data to tell us about how our customers are driving. In terms of background, uh, I'm an economist by training. did a PhD in economics uh, about a decade ago now. Started my career in academia. I taught for uh, several years in the economics department at UCLA. And then about five years ago, I moved to Uber, where I worked on several different things, primarily on kind of pricing and incentives. Then last November, I moved here to Just to lead the, the data science and pricing team. Yeah, I know. It's always interesting, I think, when uh, somebody has come from academia, not just from it, but then also taught. Your perspective is so different and unique because it's essentially you've taught a lot of the folks that are now in the space, leading teams and, and you know growing different organizations in their data science departments or whatnot. So just a unique experience. And I guess maybe... Focusing on that would be interesting. I guess for you, when you're looking at building out your team, what do you think are kind of the key characteristics that you're looking for? I think I have probably kind of a unique perspective in that I am an economist and I'm not kind of a a typical data scientist. And so, especially at a place like Just, where, you know, there's a lot of stuff that has to be kind of built from scratch. You know, I really have to, you know, get a team that that has more typical kind of engineering and data science, you know, backgrounds and experience and abilities. And so like trying to hire people that are not like me is kind of the challenge. I sort of first try to like formulate my own understanding of the technical problems that have to be tackled. And then um, when I kind of try to hire people and when I interview people, you know, try to find people that will you know, pick fights with me, I guess. And like, will will kind of push back against me and will like, like challenge me, but also can kind of, you know, are willing to kind of go back and forth with me. So that, until like my understanding of the technical problem and then what they're telling me kind of lines up. And so people who are kind of agitators and rude, and uh, <laughs> that's kind of what I look for, first of all, I think. Okay, so somewhat willing to kind of throw down the, the gloves, but not so much that it goes to blows. So now it makes sense. I think especially with your background or anybody, depending on what kind of leader you are in your background, looking for that complementary skills kind of to round out what you're maybe not strong at or strongest at. And then also coordinating that with the goals and problems you're trying to solve. It sounds like that's going to get you to the best place quickly. Yeah, I think that's right. Awesome. There's obviously different biased, I guess, when it comes to, you know, quote unquote, good versus bad data scientists. I know a lot of the emphasis more recently is on the business acumen and understanding kind of the problems, you know, uh, you're trying to solve from a business perspective. What, in your opinion, kind of gives somebody that quote unquote, good versus bad stigma? 
I think it's really context dependent, to be honest. I think that like at a small company like the one that I'm at, like we need people that can kind of do a lot of hacking together of solutions and uh, kind of being strappy and like willing to wear a lot of hats and kind of that stuff. And so I think here you sort of look for kind of evidence of that, even beyond kind of like deep technical skills, like people who you know, show some ingenuity, who like you know, go out of their way to, you know, participate in Kaggle competitions or, you know, have kind of active side projects or have like great stories about how they hack together solutions in, you know, in less than ideal circumstances. I think that's kind of what you look at. Whereas at Uber, you know, there's a lot of infrastructure, there's a lot of support. You know, you always want people who can kind of critically think and problem solve, but there you might be actually looking for like kind of deeper technical skills, right? That can really like bring home like a polished deep solution to a problem. So, so I think it's really context dependent. It's really role dependent. Yeah. So it sounds like, I guess you have to know your strengths and weaknesses first, and then make sure that's lining up with uh, kind of the organization you're looking at to join, or, or if you're already there, how that helps fit, solve any of the business problems that they're trying to tackle. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. As creators, when it comes to like how you think about handling data, I know there's a lot of you know research that needs to be done, empirical. How do you juggle both of those things? A lot of my my kind of data sense comes from you know doing economic research, which is I had an old boss that uh, used to make fun of me and, and say that I grew up in a small data era, and so like I never want to throw away data. I want to, and I want to like look at data like row by row. And so I, I think I think maybe this is not answering your question totally, but I think I tend to emphasize sort of spending a lot of time on sort of understanding data and getting the sort of intuition about how the data works and kind of where it came from and that, and then only like a small chunk of time on actual modeling and actual, you know. Yeah, and I think, no, it makes sense because I think your background is more academia. So you tend to lean more towards that side of the house where I think it may be a more engineering centric, you know, data scientist is going to focus more on the algorithmic side and building models. So I think probably the best course of action is probably finding that middle ground depending on on kind of the data you have and what you're trying to solve to make sure you're addressing the right needs. That's right. And then and the data science jobs that people will actually give me are not the jobs that are sort of all about building the best predictive model. They're about where the data is a little messy or where there's, you know, we're building something where we're doing interventions that kind of change the data, you know, so we have to think about causal inference. And so like the jobs that I'm going to tend to get are jobs that, you know, have those types of problems. Yeah, no, it makes sense. I know the space is still relatively new-ish, I guess, when you consider comparing it to engineering or whatnot. So I was curious, how do you see kind of the role of a data scientist uh, evolving in the future here? You know, maybe I'm biased, but I, I think the sort of new tools that kind of come online all the time and make doing the actual data science easier sort of tends to democratize and tends to open it up for people who don't have, you know, super strong, you know, computer science and engineering backgrounds, you know, people like me, and, and they can kind of bring like different, more like social sciences perspectives into the field. I think it's not there yet. You still have to, you know, for almost all jobs, you still have to have like pretty good, you know, engineering chops to be a good data scientist. But um, I would say that like, at a high level, that's where I think it's headed. And like there's, you know, companies springing up all the time that are, you know, trying to provide tools to make all this stuff easier. 
what do you think if that's the case then do you think then it comes down to data scientists being able to interpret the data from a business perspective more is that going to be the skill set that kind of you think people need to focus in on to stay relevant as kind of some of these tools come out and maybe start infiltrating the marketplace yeah i think so i think one of the where kind of ai has not kind of gotten to yet is there's sort of a huge swath of problems that kind of ai can't get to because of like this messiness of data so it kind of depends on like you know scientific developments there too like to the extent that you know i guess what i'm saying is at this point you still need people who understand data rather than the machines that understand data for like a huge swath of, of the problems that are still out there so it's kind of a race between like the science of ai and uh the tools that make doing data science easier for people gotcha yeah you're still going to need humans to do the work it's just going to be easier for us to do it right yeah. gotcha now it makes sense i know you mentioned uh your stint at uber i know this quote-unquote gig economy has led to a lot of you know two-sided marketplaces and lifetime value ltv for short is uh, something that a lot of orgs are trying to figure out depending on kind of where they're situated and i know there's obviously always important kpis for any organization to focus on. But I really was curious. I know you mentioned this project uh, over at Uber. Talk to us about that and kind of going through, you know, a single-sided marketplace versus a multi-sided marketplace and kind of, you know, how people can kind of go about that if they're in a situation where they're trying to tackle something similar. Yeah. So this this is a long time ago. Basically, when I first started thinking about leaving academia, one of my old colleagues at UCLA was working at Uber, was sort of the head of economic research at Uber. The project he kind of pitched me on at Uber was this uh, sort of LTV project. So, so at Uber, basically, you know, it's a it's two-sided platform. So you have drivers, you have riders. The kind of traditional way of measuring kind of the long-term value of, of a driver or a rider would kind of add up the revenues or the, the profits that a customer brings in or a, or a driver brings in. So the challenge with the two-sided marketplace is that if you think about it, what is the long-term value of an additional driver if there are zero riders, right? So if there are zero riders, nobody's doing any trips and like a, a driver's worth nothing. If there are, you know, 10 times as many riders as there are drivers, the value of an additional driver is, is potentially very high. Lots of these people wouldn't get rides if we didn't add another driver. And, you know, it kind of works within the side too. So if I kind of have too many drivers, part of the value of an additional driver is you kind of have to subtract some value because when they, when you add the new driver, he or she is going to take away trips from the existing driver. And so at the margin, it sort of lowers the value of all the existing drivers. And so kind of thinking about, like, this is a very, like, cool economics problem. You're thinking about, like, the difference between, like, you know, the average values and marginal values and, and stuff that economists like to think about. And so basically, my old colleague he pitched me on kind of coming and working on this problem and figuring this out. And so that's kind of what I, I did. And I sort of, you know, I approached it like an academic would approach it. And so I kind of set up an economic model and grabbed a bunch of da Uber's data. And um, you kind of quickly learn, or maybe not so quickly, but... Um, one of the things that I learned is that economic models are, are hugely complex. It's basically an e economic model, takes a set of assumptions, and then marches nine steps away from those assumptions, right? You say, well, assumption A implies 
assumption B, which implies assumption C, which implies or which implies outcome B, which implies outcome C, which implies outcome D. And you get very far away, like your conclusion gets very far away from your assumption, right? And that, that's kind of the way economic models work. And so, uh, you know, one of my favorite quotes in economics is from uh, John Maynard Keynes, who said that uh, a wrong turn by a remorseless logician leads to Gamora. And that's kind of one of the things you quickly learn that you, in data science, it's very hard to kind of take these logical steps without making an error. And so, like in trying to kind of model this, this very like complex spillover phenomenon, you have to account for an additional driver's impact on all the riders, on all the other drivers in order to calculate these long-term values. You sort of realize that that kind of quickly falls apart. And so where you get to, like after a lot of pain trying to make these models work is, is heuristics. So basically you should spend your time trying to come up with sort of useful heuristics. How much should I haircut? So let me start with kind of the baseline LTV, like the normal LTV where I just like add up someone's revenue and then just sort of reason a little bit about, well, if I'm in a city where there are 10 times as many riders as drivers, it's going to be roughly accurate to kind of just count up using the the kind of old approach of LTV calculation is going to work for that driver. Yeah, no, it makes sense. But in a market where there are very few drivers, I want a haircut. I want to come up with a good haircut for that kind of traditional LTV calculation. And so maybe I cut that in half. If a city never surges, for example, which is kind of an indication of having too much supply relative to demand. I think it sounds like you also have to be cognizant of the customer acquisition costs on both sides and making sure that you're factoring that into your algorithm and and problem solving of uh, the two-sided marketplace, right? Yeah. And so where this kind of got to at Uber is we were spending a bunch of money on kind of referral programs and other other kind of acquisition approaches for drivers. And the model that we kind of set up was telling us that because of this, an additional driver in most cities was actually just not worth much. It's basically just like you push a driver in and that just pushes another driver out on the end because you know the new driver takes trips from everybody else, causes more churn on the driver's side. Right. And so we're paying, you know, at the margin, we're paying a ton of money to add additional drivers. But it looks like in the data, we're making the experience worse for all our existing drivers, lowering everybody else's long-term values. And the traditional approaches weren't seeing that. So that, that's kind of what we very controversially uh, argued in my very first project at Uber that resulted in some very fun uh, meetings with Travis Kalanick where people were having fun discussions. <laughs> yeah, no, I bet you're trying to grow your company and, and people are telling you, hey, you know what, maybe uh, this isn't going to help. So I think it's being able to understand kind of, like you said, the economics behind it. And you have an advantage because that is your background. So I think it's uh, people that are trying to tackle these kind of LTV problems, depending on your particular background, definitely looking at it from an economic standpoint, I think would be a huge advantage to uh, solving it better. If somebody is interested to just uh, touch base with you, would LinkedIn be the best place to uh, give you a quick buzz or reach out? Yeah, LinkedIn works well. Awesome. Uh, Well, I appreciate you being on for everybody listening. Thanks. And hopefully we'll catch you next time.